Welcome to NAC Health Center News. This podcast is all about how a health center in Utah is addressing the opioid epidemic in its community. In it, we hear from CEO Lori Wright and Medical Director Dr. Mahana Fisher, both of Family Healthcare in St. George, Utah, which has been operating on the front lines of this issue at their health center. Just an FYI, this podcast was brilliantly produced and narrated by previous NAC intern Janai Hollinger, who has since moved on to another great internship. So without further ado, here's Janai. Lori Wright is the CEO of Family Healthcare in St. George, Utah, and has been involved with Community Health Center for almost 20 years. While she believes the faces of the patients haven't changed, she says the issues that they're facing have. To address the new issue of the opioid epidemic, her health center has began a substance use disorder treatment program. We knew that we had an issue in Utah with opioid misuse and you know the substance use disorder issue, and we wanted to start providing that service. But we have taken many, many months to put together the right kind of program and making sure that Dr. Fisher has the appropriate behavioral health and care management support that is needed for this program. And so we've just now done about four inductions with medication-assisted treatment and then um, a couple of Vivitrol patients. Then we're doing the Vivitrol in partnership with Southwest Behavioral Health. Dr. Fisher, Family Healthcare's medical director, has over 14 years of experience dealing with substance abuse disorders. He says there was no tipping point. There's always been a need for these treatment programs. And it's not any tipping point. It's well known that there's a substance use disorder, especially opioids, uh, with prescribed medications now as well as with heroin um, nationwide. I mean, it's, it's not unique to our population. It's just when I got down here and then, you know, just started working with the other providers, being the medical director, realized that the same same problem exists here that exists in the whole, you know, the entire nation. It's it's a nationwide problem. It's just it wasn't effectively being addressed here, and so that's why I decided it's time to address it correctly. Utah ranks in the top 10 for prescription drug overdose abuse and death. Dr. Fisher provided some insight into why he believes their population isn't much different than the rest of the country, but also why they may be more vulnerable. I'm not sure ours is a whole lot different than anywhere else, actually. I mean, there's a combination of, of prescribed medications that are being abused, and it's actually starting to shift more, actually, of, of heroin abuse because, you know, the nation has also switched from prescribing excessive amounts of pain medications to anybody that feels like they need pain medications to being much more restrictive, and it's it's, I mean, that's finally getting filtered down through through all providers in the medical system, but then these patients are now also starting to switch to using illegal uh, obtained things besides, you know, uh, opioid medications, mainly heroin. In Utah, it's much more acceptable with the culture here to take anything if it's been prescribed to you. In other words, uh, if, if they're going to work much harder to get a prescription of an opioid from a prescriber, because of the social stigma associated with it, rather than just buying something from somebody else. In past drug epidemics, there were distinct characteristics of the people who abused that drug. We asked Dr. Fisher and Lloyd what their thoughts were and what a typical patient might look like. Um, I think one of the things that is interesting about opioid use, and when you look at the, the at least the, the social data around it, is that it looks like, every, you know, we they just look like everyone else. They don't have a you know, you can't just pick him out in a lineup. That's someone who has, a, you know, a, a substance use disorder. And I think that's unique here. I think we also have a culture that has overly stigmatized using um, anything to help us get through the day. 
well as you know, just the need for behavioral health. So there's lots of different components in the societal makeup of Utah that makes it a little more prone to having um, a greater maybe addiction issue or substance use disorder issue. Some of these people that you're talking to, you see them in church, you're talking to church every day, you don't know who they are, they could be abusing opioids and nobody has any idea, even us. In order to efficiently identify patients who may be at risk, Family Healthcare uses a variety of different methods, such as reports created by their Quality Improvement Director on all of their controlled substances, which allows them to keep track of their provider's prescribing habits and what the patients are getting. They also discuss in their staff meetings the tools providers can use for screenings and which tools would be most appropriate for a particular patient. Lastly, they go to other behavioral health or therapy groups outside of their system. They hope to partner with them and help their underserved population. This idea of really actively trying to identify so we can help instead of waiting for the patient to end up spiraling. So we're trying to do it proactively that way. and. Um, Dr. Fisher and I both are trying to encourage our providers to see this as just another tool to use in their belt of many tools as they interact with patients because it's such, um, well, it's an a issue that many, many of us could be dealing with. And like we said, we're trying to identify those, but we want to make sure we get them the appropriate care, the appropriate time, with the appropriate person, if that makes sense. Lori says she understands why some colleagues feel the expense associated with treating SUD makes working on this problem impossible, but it's her mission to find a way to make it happen. We feel like it's a mission, very mission-driven decision mm-hmm. to figure out ways to make the funding mechanism work, and that really comes back to me in a lot of ways is um, being creative and flexible with opportunities that come across my desk and partnerships that are presented to me and then try and work those partnerships to um, our greatest advantage, if you will, so that we can get that. Because we don't have Medicaid expansion, so the majority of these patients that we're dealing with will not have any kind of insurance. The other side of that is our great partnership with 340B, which enables the patient to actually be able to get the treatment at an affordable rate. Or we're partnering with our um, local mental health authority, Southwest Behavioral Health, and they are using JRI funds to help pay for Vivitrol treatment for people who are recently out of jail. So that's part of it. I think it's that partnering is also a key part of being able to make this work. Along with continuing to partner and build stronger relationships with their mental health authorities, Dr. Fisher stressed the importance of a seamless integration of the substance abuse disorder treatment program with their overall system. He believes it is an integral part of making it successful. The way I envisioned it, and I think the way Lori wants to work in this too, is it's not just a separate program. It's actually integrating it into our whole system. It's it's like treating a, a section of population who has diabetes or, or any other chronic illness. It's just another another service to our regular patients working into our, our regular schedules. So it's not it's not like it's a whole separate program. We're working on integrated behavioral health, and that's actually this Actually, the model we're using also for this program is we co-manage these patients with our mental health worker as well as with their primary care provider. The concern I have is is that I want all the providers to continue to provide primary care to all these patients and hopefully actually bring in new patients who we can service not only for their their addiction problems, but also they can start having uh, good medical treatment for all of their medical problems. 
Both Lori and Dr. Fisher have high hopes for what this program will be able to achieve and the impact it will have on the lives of those who struggle with a substance abuse disorder. I hope to achieve better control of our controlled substances, a better better control of of our prescribing practices. So my ultimate goal is to reduce morbidity and mortality from this this illness. We want to control these patients exactly the same way as a as a chronic illness and reduce the long-term complications of it. I want everybody to understand that this is a an illness, it's a chronic disease, something that needs to be treated. But foremost, that these are patients. They're patients just like everybody else. That's that's the one thing I want to get across. And that's what I'm trying to get across to our providers too and to our community is that these are human beings, these are patients, they have chronic illnesses, they need to be treated just like anybody else. And they need to be respected just like any any other patient that walks in the door. I think I want to be supportive of that vision that um, Dr. Fisher has. I also want to be supportive of our community and our community partners and build a safety network that we're all partnering together and trying to break down some of the silos that we currently practice in so that we can start to really address the chronicity of, of um, the substance use disorder issue. And then I think, you know, to, at the very beginnings of all of that, we're still trying to work through some of misconceptions and stigmatizations that our own providers have somewhat, mm-hmm. and certainly our community. You know, my whole philosophy and why I do this work is I love the idea of taking hopeless situations and trying to shed some light and education on them and get really great providers to partner with that and then start to make it so it's not so hopeless. There's actually a pathway to some kind of potential in in their life. At the time of this recording, Family Healthcare Substance Abuse Disorder Program was very new and only had a few patients. Providers were anxious to get their patients the help that they deserved. For Lori, part of what keeps her going is her provider's compassion for their patients and their commitment into getting them into medically assisted treatment. What's really interesting to me is is when I have providers who email me or call me who say, you know, I have someone who would be the perfect candidate for MAT. You know, when are we going to get it going? And when I hear that on a regular basis from providers, first of all, I understand the complete compassion and heartache that those providers are feeling for that particular patient. Mm-hmm. We've had one induction where I know that the provider who introduced the patient to the program was also very grateful for it and excited that there might be some way to not have addiction run their entire life anymore. Mm-hmm. When I hear stories like that, it makes it easier to go and write the grants and do the time that it takes to get the funding to do that. Mm-hmm. In closing, Dr. Fisher and Lori discussed what drew them to do this work and why they were committed to ending this epidemic. You know, I've been doing this for quite a while, and the reason I even got interested in the first place is because of some of the problems I saw with it and some of the the terrible stories that I got from that. Personal friends passing away from this kind of stuff and people, even a provider here whose son, is an adopted son, you know, in a meeting here, told me his son passed away, and I'd, and it's just... Those kinds of things that really, really set me into to thinking that this is something we have, have got to do, regardless of the barriers that we're running into and how hard it is and, you know, time constraints and money constraints and all those things. It's just something we have to do because I've seen it more than, more than I care to. Too many personal stories, too many people too close to us that it actually happens to. And 
you know, this is a disease all of us affects all of us, not just not just patients in the community, but all of us personally. So that's really why I became so passionate about making sure that we get our system set up and set it up correctly and, and start helping these patients. I think for me is that it is a, a societal issue right now. And so it's going to take the whole society to be the cure to that issue. I think we're taking one important step. And our responsibility as primary care providers in, in our little contribution to creating this problem, we want to also be a solution to that problem. And I also think that what Dr. Fisher said is spot on. It is and always will be about the patient, about the people, about our community. And, and that's really the, you know, the heart and soul of community health centers. We would like to thank Dr. Fisher and Lori for joining us today. Thank you to Lori and Dr. Fisher and the folks at Family Healthcare in Utah for sharing their story. And a big thank you to Janai for producing this podcast for NAC. To learn more about health centers and NAC, visit www.nac.org or follow us on Twitter at NACHC. Thanks for listening. Your music is by Ben Sound.